Hello, friends. It's good to be with you again. This podcast will drop on Friday, so I hope you're heading into a beautiful weekend. I hope you have some time to be outside, if outside is a welcoming space for you right now, and restore. I hope you have some time to restore. This is a great podcast, if I do say so myself. Um, I have a great interview in my Deeper Rhythms series with Matthew Foley, and that's going to take the majority of our time today. But I wanted to start by honoring the cycle of the pink moon, which we are now in. I'm enjoying watching the sickle phase grow each night, and I wanted to share some poems, one now and one at the end of the podcast, about the pink moon that I have written. This is coinciding um, with the new moon. Strike the match, slender sickle, hovering just above the mountain. The new moon is here once again. Pink moon, herb moss, casting her carpet before us. The wild ground cover appears in ribbons overnight. Paradox of stillness and unfolding. Can these go together? Is the ultimate pause the start of something? How very useful to consider what is allowed. And that's just a great segue into my interview with Matt. Considering what's allowed in your life, Matt and I talk predominantly about archetypes and in particular the archetypal journey of the hero's journey. And we also touch on the heroine's journey just a bit. And indeed, that would probably be another great topic. He's going to have a podcast about that soon. So anyway, stay tuned. More about the heroine's journey from both of us. But I hope this interview sparks your imagination and even encourages you to reimagine what is allowed in my life. I am so happy to have Matthew Foley here today. He's a wonderful life coach doing great things in the Asheville community and in the world. And he Thank is you. a friend of mine. I am happy to have done a podcast with him about a year ago when COVID hit. Yeah. And we mm-hmm. um, we just had the very appropriate topic at the moment, unplanned, about diving into the unknown and right. how to how to embrace that and how to navigate that. And nothing has changed in terms of that is still the hot ticket. And I'm pretty convinced it is for the rest of my life, just learning how to embrace the unknown. So that's how you and I um, have connected in the past, but I'd like to turn it over to you and let you introduce yourself. Who are you? What are you doing yeah. here in Asheville? And you sort of take the floor for a minute. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and thank you, Lori, for for having me on um, today on your podcast. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think uh, we have to go back and look at the calendar to get the exact date. But yeah, I think this is almost the one year anniversary of recording a podcast together, a mine. And and you're right. Um, I think we just how timely that was going to be for this past year (laughs) between these two podcasts. So, yes. um, And you're right. Yes. Still 
still lots of unknowns to explore. Um, so, but thank you for having me on here today and thank you for the opportunity to introduce myself. Um, I'm Matthew Foley. I run a uh, coaching business called A Path to Call Your Own. I've been doing this particular work for around two years, and yet this is really the work of my whole life. You know, <laughs> it's taken on a few uh, iterations, but but specifically doing the work of life coaching has been really over the last um, two years. And my work, you know, we the two of us share you know, a lot of common ground on where we draw a lot of our inspiration from, you know, our, the Venn diagram of our interests <laughs> intersects uh, on quite a lot of things, you it's know, a honeycomb. Um, yeah, you know, in a is. lot of ways, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, in a lot of ways, I consider myself, you know, a, a depth coach in a way as <laughs> one way I think I would proudly describe my work. You know, I draw an enormous amount of inspiration from the depth psychology tradition. Um, I'm not a therapist, nor do I pretend to be. Um, and, and, you know, I do like, I do think there are good and healthy distinctions between therapists and coaches. And I'm really proud to be a coach, but I draw enormous amount from the depth tradition in terms of particularly archetypes mm -hmm. um, and things that help us gain access to those most inner regions of our being, whether we call it soul, uh, whatever, whatever name we have it, you know, doorways into the whole self, you know, um, that is what I am most passionate about. But yeah, um, I, uh, I guess more practically speaking, you know, I've been here in the Asheville, North Carolina area for about two years, came here from Charleston, South Carolina, where I was for, for quite a long time. My, my more traditional career before all of this coaching stuff was, um, I was a, a high school English teacher. Another thing and we have in common. <laughs> yes. I, yeah. I remember that. Right. Right. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and it's interesting, again, even though I can say I've specifically been a certified life coach for two years, you know, the fact that so much of my coaching work draws on story, you know, and myths and asking ourselves, you know, what, what myth are we playing out? What stories are, are we living out in our lives? Of course, I was an English teacher you know, of course. Yeah. <laughs> before I before I got into this, and and I think I, I am I think that's why the the Jungian tradition has always spoken to me very deeply because in a way I've been immersed in this whole realm really my entire life. You know, I, I spent a childhood loving to read. So exposed to um, a very religious family. So it was, you know, steeped in the stories of the Bible, um, stories of Jesus. Um, so this, this whole landscape <laughs> of stories and the soul and the discovery uh, of, our, of our inner self, this is always where I have lived. Um, it's just taken on a lot of different forms and, the current form is yes, you know, um, life coach and uh, and also a writer, poet. I, I teach meditation classes. I stay very busy. I, I host coaching groups as well as one-on-one -on -one coaching. Um, yeah, but it all really centers around 
this helping people find their soul path. Uh, again, the name of my business and my podcast is A Path to Call Your Own. And that is what I'm about, you know, that, that, that path of individuation. That's a little intro about me. Wonderful. Thank <laughs> you. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to answer this a at all. Okay. As, as we go, <laughs> but I want to plant this seed or you could answer it at another point in our conversation. But okay. I'm curious because I ask myself this often and it changes often. What myth is living you right now? Or what myth are you engaged in right now? Again, you don't have to to mm-hmm. jump in on that mm-hmm. right now if you don't want to, but uh, different myths are living me at different moments. And, and yeah. clearly yeah. we can be in one myth in our partnership or another myth mm-hmm. in our career mm-hmm. or another mm-hmm. myth in mm-hmm. our, you know, what have you, creative mm-hmm. projects. Um, is that something you'd like to touch on right now mm-hmm. or or let develop as we chat. Let's do it. Okay. Let's do it. We're all ears. <laughs> Let's do it. We're all ears. Um, well, I, I know we're going to touch a lot on the hero's journey today. Uh, or at least that's that's part yes. of the plan. Yes. Um, you know, and, and so in my work now as a coach, I think I've spent a lot of time thinking about that archetype of the mentor, Mm. you know, Mm -hmm. that wise old man or wise old woman figure that the hero encounters in, in the journey. I've always had a very strong draw towards that, that figure. Uh, You know, um, I, I remember, I remember being young and, you know, loving so many uh, stories, uh, movies that, you know, I would come to learn later were really you know, hero's journey kind of stories. You know, I love Star Wars and Lord of the Rings and all that kind of stuff. And in so many of those stories, my favorite characters were the kind of wise old man uh, figure, you know, mm-hmm. in Star Wars. I loved Obi-Wan Kenobi and Yoda. I loved Yoda so much. <laughs> um, Lord of the Rings. I loved Gandalf. You know, I, I, in some interesting way, even when I was very young, I sometimes felt myself more drawn to the wise old man figure than maybe even the young hero figure. <laughs> and so, you know, not surprisingly, you know, my my work has my work as as a coach is really the the art of holding the space of that mentor figure for someone mm-hmm. else. Now, this this raises a great Jungian uh, concern about you know over identification with the archetype and mm-hmm. the potential for inflation. You know, I don't pretend to show up as the wise mentor in every single one of my <laughs> relationships. Right? It's yeah. it's a very specific aspect of my life that when that you know when someone asks me, <laughs> that's a good it's <laughs> a good place to start. When someone hires me. Um, to be a life coach, I have an archetypal understanding that for the time being of our coaching relationship, I'm going to hold that space temporarily 
in their life of that mentor figure until they are ready to to really take it on themselves. Mm, you know, said. I think that's an important. It's not for it's not for me to hold that mentor energy forever. Um, it's really to strategically hold it for a certain amount of time until they are ready to step into uh, a fuller understanding that deep down they are really their own mentor themselves. So that is a myth that professionally I find myself living out quite frequently. And I try to be very thoughtful about that mm-hmm. as well. <laughs> That's beautifully said and very humble. I think a great amount of humility <laughs> has to travel with that role. Certainly. And, and to your point, you're, yeah, you're o- helping that awaken in the other and it's always there, but we mm. don't sometimes know it's there until we sort of play it off the other, whoever the other is. And um, I'll just throw in right. here. Right. When I started my um, archetypal journey in like really in an academic sense, one of my dreams at the time straight out of the gate was that my Gandalf figure was in a dream and he died immediately died. And I was grief stricken Mm -hmm. in this dream because I'm like, Oh my God, Mm -hmm. what do I do now? And I just think that was the (laughs) psyche's way, you know, straight out of the gate saying, it's not out here, Lori. It's not out here. Um, and and you're if you're to embrace yeah. this in earnest, mm-hmm. it's something that's coming alive in you. And and, and not to yeah. um, hijack in the nature of this dream that our conversation, but that dream ended with a female mm-hmm. figure approaching, and I just saw her light coming, mm-hmm. um, and she was approaching. And so I, I know that was telling me early on very much how you've described the coaching dynamic is that, you know, we get inspiration out here and, and help and guidance, but this is something flowering within us. And so that's very mm-hmm. beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I can see in that dream that, yeah, the, you know, the unconscious was telling you it was, you know, it's time to retract a certain projection of that mentor archetype mm-hmm. outwards, you know, and, and and maybe particularly onto a male figure, a masculine yes. figure to bring it back to you. Yes. Um, and it's now time to embody that. Totally. Yeah, I, I, I find, you know, I spend a lot of time thinking about, you know, the, the art of mentoring and, and, and the need uh, to to be mentored. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that is one of one of the potential pitfalls of anyone who gets into any kind of uh, any kind of mentoring role, whether again, be therapist, uh, counselor, coach, um, spiritual teacher, guide. I think we always need to maintain a good, healthy relationship with our own mentors. Therapists need therapists. Mm-hmm. Coaches need coaches. You know, <laughs> teachers also need to be students. Yes. Um, and, and so that's that's always so. You know, going back to this idea of living out myths, there's there are plenty of days where you know I show up 
at the front door of one of my mentors as, you know, the lost, confused young student, you know, struggling to find wisdom. And, uh, and they hold that space beautifully for me. Yes. And it just so so happens that maybe the next day or even a few hours later, uh, you know, I'm holding that mentoring space for someone else. So I, I, I often think of my own work um, in coaching as just a constant kind of paying it forward. Mm-hmm. You know, I have been so blessed to have wonderful mentors and teachers of all kinds. I mean, acad- whether it be academic teachers or spiritual teachers, uh, just life teachers and just trying to just trying to pass along the good things I've found to, to the person coming behind me. Yes. Thank you. And what about, okay, mm-hmm. it's, it's awesome when we're sort of inspired by our individual Gandalfs um, <laughs> and, you know, they, they seem to have a numinous or luminous quality to them. What about the teachers that aren't any fun at all? So <laughs> how, how do you respond well? Because I'm here to tell you that my greatest teachers have not been fun. And I, I, I mean, they've been the dark shadows of my experience and of my life. And they have been tremendous mm. thresholders, tremendous guardians at the gate that I now look back mm. and bow to. You know, um, so tell me about your dynamic with, and I know we're talking about here, somebody seeking you out and choosing you as a teacher and there being an affinity for that relationship. But what about the teachers that kick our ass in some fashion? (laughs) Um. There is most certainly a place for that. Um, that's definitely something I've been finding to be, you know, actually really beneficial for my growth. And, and I've been finding that in some of the men's work world that um, I've been a part of for the last few years. Some of that conscious masculinity work. I have found some mentors in that journey who have been um, quite firm with me, you know, mm-hmm. at times and will hold me accountable. Even when I'm squirming and don't want to be held accountable, there, there is something uh, to, to someone who will tell you the harsh, hard truth um, that can wake you up, you know, mm-hmm. that um, sometimes, sometimes that is the medicine needed more than a, a hug and a pat and a shoulder mm-hmm. and uh, oh you poor baby um I, you know <laughs> uh and in fact you know i in this coming year you know i'm i'm always on the lookout for new mentors and and coaches i had a really awesome uh, woman who was a business coach of mine for about 6 months this this pr- previous year and uh i'm i'm kind con- i'm currently on the lookout for you know, maybe the next coach I want to hire for myself and for my own growth, as uh, challenging as it might be, the kind of coach I would probably look for is precisely someone who would be willing to be firm with me when needed mm-hmm. and to kick my ass when mm-hmm. needed. Mm-hmm. You know, it's something, and it's and it's a dynamic that 
it, it, it's something I try to find that balance in my own coaching work because look, you know, yeah, sometimes we are in need of an empathetic shoulder to cry on. And sometimes we need that, that kind of tough love. It's both, it's both, yes. you know? Yes. Um, and, you know, in my coaching work, paying very close attention to what a client seems to need in that moment. But you're right. The times when I do pull out some of that, that, that firmness, um, offer a, a, a hard mirror to, 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 for the client to look into. Um, sometimes those are the biggest growth moments, you know, again, archetypally speaking in my own thought process, you know, I associate that with, you know, the love of the father, you know, mm-hmm. it, it is a kind of more masculine, or at least what we more kind of associate with a kind of masculine fatherly love, you know, it's, it's, it's a love that, uh, you know, we usually think of motherly love as being very unconditional love and fatherly love, you know, has actually some conditions to it. It does. <laughs> it's, it uh, does. you know, fatherly love as an archetype says, I love you. And because I love you, I expect great things from you. <laughs> and, and if I see you falling short of the greatness that you are capable of, I will be disappointed in you. <laughs> and so there's there's a judgment. There's this old association of like the father as judge. And that's tough, you know? And, and I think in our culture right now, that's a real like kind of tough thing to look at. We don't like to think about judgment and judging people, but uh, there, there is a healthy version of that, yes. you know? Um, and, and it's and it's precisely in those moments when a beloved teacher who we respect and we know has our best interest at heart does lovingly kick our ass. Yes. <laughs> that is that kind of it, it's it's love and judgment. Yes. yes. You could be better than this. <laughs> and in my experience too, just taking this back even a little bit further, the 30,000 foot view here, mm-hmm. divorce, sure. bankruptcy, difficult health diagnosis. I think it's very fruitful to frame these as mentors. They are also mentors um, of this darker variety mm. and they are... Yeah that guardian at the gate that is that is absolutely driving us into our resilience and and our capacities because we're suffering and mm. and all the good wisdom we had above the neck mm. is not valid anymore and in my experience that drives me i i often say above the neck or below the neck that dr- that drives me below the neck. Like, get out of your yeah. head, get out of your concepts, and you've got to live this answer because you don't know this territory. Mm. Have those been big teachers? And do you help your clients see big suffering transitions like this as also a form of mentorship of life? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the time. It'd be nice if the human experience was 
wired differently, that we could, that we could learn all of our big lessons through pleasure and, you know, just wonderful things. But sometimes for better or for worse, our best lessons come when, when things go wrong and when things <laughs> fall apart. And I absolutely try to see those own, those moments in my own life as teachers and, and, try to guide clients to see them that way too. While also honoring the fact that it sucks. I think yeah. that is an important mm-hmm. part of it. You know, I uh, I often kind of uh, think, you know, there's always that concept of, you know, silver linings, you know, that there's, that there's, a, that there's gold, there's a blessing uh, hidden in a misfortune of some kind. But I, I think one of the ways in which we have, we earn our silver linings is by actually honoring, you know, whatever was the painful suffering involved you know you can't you can't just skip right to the silver linings i think that's an important yes um lesson to learn but yeah you're right i mean and, and again i think there's so much archetypally and and mythically that you know we can we can draw from here i mean that's you know it's funny you know if you look at the the general progression of the hero's journey myth you know that that meeting of a mentor and then tests and challenges usually come right at the same time. And it's funny, you know, we usually think of those as being, you know, sort of separate and the mentor figure is all good and the challenges are all bad, but it's, and I'm just kind of, this is just coming to me right now as I'm saying it out loud, but you know, that's perhaps that's just, you know, two sides of kind of the same coin, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, Bilbo Baggins meets Gandalf and the next thing he's, confronting these trolls, you know, in, in the Hobbit, right. It's, it's within just a a few dozen pages of each other. And so, you know, our inner Gandalf and our inner troll kind of come right back to back, you know? Yes. Yes. (laughs) And uh, one other person whose work I'm, I'm always really inspired by is uh, Carol Pearson. Oh yeah. 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 And uh, something that, you know, she, um, she talked about, um, so I really love her book. I have it on my desk right here, uh, Awakening the Heroes Within, mm-hmm. um, 12 Archetypes uh, that she goes into in, in that book. And, and, and she kind of talks about a lot of, a number of archetypes kind of in, in her system as, as like pairs that, that mm-hmm. are always kind of balancing each other out or there's a tug of war between them. And Two, two of the archetypes that have that kind of pair relationship to are the archetype of the creator and the destroyer. Yes. And for me, this shows up on a very practical level. And I st- I've seen this over and over again in my own life where being a really creative time of life, I'm bringing forth new ideas, new pieces of writing, new projects, my inner creative artist, you know, divine creative is alive and things are flowing and things are being birthed. And it seems like that energy demands its opposite. Mm-hmm. And something else, somewhere else in my life will fall apart. <laughs> you know, car will break down, you know, the, the refrigerator stops working, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, something goes awry. And Mm -hmm. uh, I have a perfect and hilarious example of this. Um, You know, I've been digging more into this archetypal work and teaching some workshops around it. And uh, actually, the the first time I was going to teach 
an art, uh, a, a workshop on archetypes. It was going to be for just two friends of mine who are both uh, spiritual uh, coaches and guides in their own right. I was going to do this, this very just private workshop for just, for just the two of them. And it was set for a, for a Saturday afternoon. And uh, that morning, just to kind of really clear my head and get ready for this archetype workshop, which was just felt so fresh and so new. And I just had all this amazing stuff to share. I was like, you know, I'm going to go clear my head. I want to go out for a hike. So I got in my car and drove out um, a little deeper into the mountains where I knew there was a nearby trail, did the hike, felt amazing, thought through the whole workshop, got back to my car, car wouldn't start. Of course, <laughs> of course my car wouldn't start, right? Which then turned into this whole thing. I had to get like a stranger gave me a ride back down the mountain and I had to deal with it getting towed. And, you know, this, this, peace of mind that I was hoping to have going into this workshop was destroyed. You know, I taught the workshop that day, but, you know, but I had, you know, it was this great lesson in creation and destruction happening, almost evoking each other. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's um, a fantastic example. Right. <laughs> Um, and the good news is I was able to uh, get a brand new car about a week later, uh, a Subaru, a gray silver Subaru Outback, which I named Gandalf. So how perfect is that? <laughs> That's perfect. That's perfect. <laughs> so let me ask you this then, because the sure. depth psychological lens and approach encourages us to honor the gods, plural. And again, we're not talking about mm. one's idea of a supreme being. We're talking about all the mm. psychological energies that can be represented by, you know, mm -hmm. the, the Greek gods or what have you. Can you honor some kind of destructive quality ritualistically to appease that god somewhat preemptively. So in other words, let's say you're yeah. on fire and you're you're cooking with gas on all these projects and you've got some great thing, you know, to intentionally mm. honor the destruction like in some way creatively mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. through ritual so that life doesn't have to whip around and and deliver that lesson. Right. 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 Because is the point that the gods, plural, right. want to be right. remembered. Mm, yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'll share a very practical version of this that I have, I have offered to clients. Um, although I think I love what you said about um, uh, a ritual approach to this. And I think there's a lot of, um, I could see someone, you know, engaging in some, active imagination or creating a, a ceremony, a personal ceremony to honor that sort of dark, destructive mm -hmm. uh, force, but a really just down to earth practical way. I have encouraged clients when, when they're in that, that mode, lots of creation and this whole concept comes up. What I've offered to them is to start getting really clear about what they want to say no to. Mm. Because the, let me put it this way, the gift of that destruction is that it clears the space for more creation. Mm. 
Gotcha. So one could look at, you know, where have you been allowing, let's say your, your boundaries to be violated uh, or just your boundaries to be blurred. Where, where have, you know, do you have a, 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 a friend who has been perhaps unconsciously just taken up too much of your time out of some neediness and you've just been wanting to tell this person, hey, I, like, I love you, but I need a little bit of space. Mm-hmm. Or maybe having to tell, you know, it just in any situation like that, where you have been wanting to say a no, you've been wanting to eliminate something from your life. Um, you know, I, you know, I tell you, a good ritual might be to do something like clean out, clean out like messiest closet in your house and take a bunch of stuff to Goodwill. Like get mm-hmm. rid of what is taking up space. I love it. Um, do a little bit of active um, destroying, destroying, a little bit of active, yeah. like clearing the earth, you know, yeah. so, that, so that new seeds can be planted. Yeah. I love mm-hmm. that. You know, I, I know just from following your work, you're, you're really actively doing some men's movement hero journey stuff right now and you'll be teaching that and you're workshopping that and and offering that can you give folks just um so there's the hero's journey which flows a lot from the depth psychological tradition and joseph campbell's work Mm -hmm. and then Mm -hmm. the the heroine's journey is slightly Mm -hmm. different Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. so these are you know you can look these up online and, and get great graphs about sort of the highlights of the phases that these go through. And each of us from a depth perspective has both the masculine and the feminine within us. So mm-hmm. we're all mm-hmm. going to engage mm-hmm. in these journeys in different ways. But could you touch on for those mm-hmm. to whom this is new in our audience, sort of yeah. like hit the highlights of what the hero's journey looks like? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I do love that you, as a preface, I love that you brought up, you know, that there is also, uh, you know, some good work done over the last few decades to really articulate a heroine's journey, a version of this story that honors the more feminine experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm actually planning a, a podcast really about this. I have a, a friend here in the Asheville area named Chanella has derived a lot of her coaching work from the heroine's journey under that particular book and a lot of the work around that. So I'm inviting Chanel on to teach me more about the heroine's awesome. journey so oh. that, so I can, so yeah. I can know kind of more about that, that perspective, but sure. I mean, so the, the hero's journey, um, if someone were, was brand new to it, I mean, I, I again, I, I think we have to in large part credit Joseph Campbell for making it, uh, for really bringing it into the popular consciousness, and uh, really his book, "The Hero with a Thousand Faces," is is really the kind of original Bible, so to speak, of yeah. the study of the hero's journey, and and the the basic outline, and and you know he us from really a lifetime of of reading both you know literature. Um, myths, fairy tales, legends, and trying to see what was really held in common. You know, he was really fascinated by 
you know, if we look, you know, across all these different cultures and times and different religious traditions, it's, it's so obviously diverse and different and distinct on the surface. But what he was curious about was, you know, what are some of the universals deep down in the depths that might be shared? You know, what does the story of Christ and Buddha despite how different they are on the surface, what might they have deeply in common down below? So, so that's, you know, kind of his intellectual fascination and the hero's journey concept that he laid out is, is kind of the, the fruit of that. But um, so anyway, the, the overall model of the hero's journey would be really a three-part sequence of um, a departure a, a leaving behind of the, the ordinary world, the whatever world you are currently comfortable in, we'll say goodbye. Because <laughs> adventure awaits. Um, and that can be an inner adventure or an outer adventure. I think that might be something we can circle back to. But there is a departure um, away from what is familiar, what is ordinary. There's a, yeah, a, a crossing of a threshold. I, you've used that, that term already several times. A crossing of a threshold into a world of exploration and the unknown. Uh, this is new terrain. And there are a few stages usually associated with this, this part of the journey. Yeah, there's usually a meeting of a mentor, perhaps meeting of allies, acquiring particular tools or a magical weapon uh, of some kind. Um, and we could talk about what that's symbolic of. But and then there's usually this leads is leading towards a kind of confrontation. You know, a, a classic way of thinking about the hero's journey is uh, a confrontation with a dragon or a monster of some kind. There is there is a the hero confronts that which is most deeply feared mm-hmm. is a good mm-hmm. way of putting it. And that kind of underneath or behind that which is most feared, some sort of treasure awaits. It mm-hmm. might be a literal treasure. It might be the treasure of wisdom, of insight. And in that that treasure is earned through a confrontation with that which is feared. And then the final and third phase of the hero's journey is a return, is a return mm-hmm. back to that ordinary world one one left behind. And, and so that's why, you know, in a lot of myths and, and even, you know, a lot of popular films, you know, there's a kind of, um, you know, I, I actually, I just, I just watched um, the newer version of the Lion King uh, a mm-hmm. few nights, a few nights ago. And that, oh my God, the Lion King is such a great story of uh, the hero's journey or Xander's journey. And it's, you know, so, you know, young Simba, right, many years ago, kind of left his homeland, was kind of an exiled, and then gains his, his, his new insight uh, about who he truly is, that he is the destined to be the, the Lion King, right? And there's a return, there's a return back home wiser and stronger and a kind of setting to right perhaps a problem or a need or a hunger that that had existed 
back in that ordinary world. So it's a kind mm-hmm. of, you know, one's village or one's kingdom needs saving. The world needs saving. And the hero goes out on an adventure and by learning and growing and by returning offers that salvation that uh, his or her community was, was, was in need of. So um, that's, that's a, that's kind of the overview of things. And, and literally everything that I mentioned from a magical weapon to a confrontation with the dragon, all of those, you know, there's a lot of layers to all, every little piece of that, but, um, but yes. that's, that's at least an overview to get us started. <laughs> awesome. Thank, thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As you're talking, I, two things came to mind, which would be these sub layers. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Cause I know initially the call to adventure is often um, denied in the beginning. Yeah. Like the mm-hmm. hero's like, no, no, that is not no, my path. <laughs> <laughs> I am not your guy. I am not your woman. I am not your person for that. That is not my job. Mm-hmm. So there's a refusal of the call. Right. Um, I'd like right. to hear your thoughts on that. And then too, very much to your point about the return, you know, like slaying the dragon whatever that ends up being metaphorically or in Mm -hmm. terms of one's interiority, the return home. um, Mm -hmm. I think what I was fascinated by when I was learning about it and continue to learn about it is there's just as much integration required of the individual in the return. It's not like, Oh, "Oh, the dragon's done. We're good. It's all, it all falls into place because you return home to either the relationships that were originally there or the circumstances that were there have to shift with you or reimagine yeah. themselves or be left behind. And, yeah. and there is a, a, a very transformative piece about that too, but it comes about, um, I would think through that, that inner sovereignty, it's not, Mm-hmm. clashing and 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 wreaking havoc it's not like there's all these bitter battles upon re, uh, upon the return it's more emanating as i understand it matt from from this space of sovereignty that just certain things yeah. aren't going to work anymore or certain right. things are inspired to work newly so yeah. so right. if you could right. touch on those two things the the refusal of the call and this and this mm-hmm. Uh, journey of the integration because I don't want folks out there who this is new think oh as soon as that yeah. dragons and I've killed a dragon I, the integration the return is a really um, <laughs> beautiful part of it as well yeah yeah great great questions yeah yeah so okay the the refusal of the call um yeah that's a common motif um hero's stories yeah where the hero resists uh you know or the 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 hero to be uh resists that call and and i think i think that's a wonderfully human moment you know I, i'm glad those moments are in there because they actually help us remember that these what could seem like these mythic often superhero type of heroes um they too have their moments of doubt you know, I find that actually comforting. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, uh, uh, I, I think a great, um, well, actually two biblical examples actually come to mind. You know, there's a, one that's, I think, you know, talked about, I think a good bit 
in regards to the refusal of the calls is Jonah, you know, so you know the story, mm-hmm. God calls, you know, Jonah to be a great prophet. And Jonah's like, not nah, just, you know, that seems like a lot of hard work and suffering and, <laughs> and, um, and, you know, refuses. And uh, that leads to that classic story of Jonah being, you know, swallowed by swallowed by the whale, which is another kind of interesting hero's journey motif. But there is, there is a saying of no there. And interestingly, you know, I, I've always been really struck um, there's a scene in the Gospels with with Christ where I think he's um, praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. There's a prayer between him and God where he talks about, I'm forgetting exactly what's said, go through with, with the crucifixion, you know, and, and Jesus seeing the sacrifice he is to make as like a cup being offered to him. And he was like, look, if I could pass this cup, I would. Mm-hmm. But I think the I think that the conversation with God ends that like if this is the cup you were asking me to drink, um, I, I'll drink. But he's saying like I'm <laughs> I'm not really thrilled <laughs> about right. this taking this on, yeah. Um, and I and I super paraphrase that by the way. Um, but but I I almost think you know for our culture. Uh, are, you know, still very Christian culture, I think to acknowledge that even Jesus, Jesus mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. had a moment of doubt yes. and a moment of wanting to refuse the call. Yes. I mean, if, if one were to take this from, you know, a Christian perspective, he was, he was being asked to do that, which will save the soul of all humanity forever and ever. And yet even our savior from a Christian point of view was not sure if he was up to the task. Right. I think that's actually a healthy thing <laughs> yeah. yes. to uh, to appreciate. So absolutely, um, that there's a reason why that's an integral part. I think of the hero's journey. It's not about just a kind of literal, yes, rushing into battle with no no doubt, no fear, as if that's exclusively what a hero is. Um, yes. a hero, a heroic figure has doubts. And I think that's why that's a part of the story. So, but okay, yeah. So, and also the return and and how that's representative of the integration that has to happen with any growth in our lives. You know, we go through some growth experience, some transformative experience. We have that amazing you know, spiritual weekend retreat, and we were, were transformed and we saw the light, and then now it's Monday morning and we're back home and yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> there's laundry to do and emails yeah. to check. And, <laughs> yes, you know, um, so yeah, there's, again, that's the reason why this is built into this. Um, and, you know, yeah, I think, I think a lot of traditional myths do spend more time on this piece. And, and I think that is what is sometimes if, if we're getting, if we're getting our understanding about the hero's journey only from like Hollywood, yes, there is a temptation to lose this part of it. Because if you're, if you're kind of playing to uh, an audience eating popcorn, then yeah, like the fight with the dragon piece, that's, that's the real exciting yeah. climax yeah. part. Yeah. Right. You know, and the hero's victorious and what comes after is maybe just, it could be in some films, it could be as little as five minutes, you know, yeah. of just, yay, it all worked out. Everybody's fine, you know, totally, um, yes. but I think a deeper appreciation, I think a deeper appreciation for this 
would spend more time with what, you know, to you, you brought up the notion of sovereignty and, and that is an important part of the kind of traditional hero's journey concept is, uh, or as it sometimes manifests that the returning hero does become the sovereign, the king or the queen, you know, there's the old motif of the young hero was, you know, is secretly really the prince or princess who's mm-hmm. heir to the throne, but they don't know they are. And their whole journey is a kind of discovery that they really are destined for this great role. And then they return home and and and, and now there's really another journey in front of them, how to be a good, just sovereign. Yes. Um, there's, a, there's a really funny quote that... Um, George R. R. Martin, who's the author of the uh, A Song of Ice and Fire, what became Game oh, of Thrones. Wonderful. So, you know, he, yep. 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 So, you know, obviously a lot of that Game of Thrones world is is a kind of darker, more complex version of like Tolkien, Tol- Tolkien's mm-hmm. uh, Lord of the Rings world, right? Mm-hmm. And so the Lord of the Rings story ends with, you know, the last book, you know, the series is The Return of the King, right? So there's this character of, of Aragorn. He's been the kind of long lost heir to the throne. Mm -hmm. The big great evil of Sauron is defeated. Aragorn assumes the throne and all is good in Middle Earth. And, you know, particularly in the film version, that's really kind of where things mostly end, you know. And George R. R. Martin brought up how, um, you know, that that was a, that Tolkien was expressing a kind of, you know, very medieval worldview, this idea that that if the king was a good person, that all would kind of take care of itself. But George R. R. Martin said that when he was finishing reading Lord of the Rings, you know, early on, he was like, well, well what's Aragorn's tax policy? <laughs> what's you know, how, how is Aragorn actually going to rule? You know, what sort of choices is he going to make uh, as king? Y- you know, but, you know, that that is uh, perhaps a kind of shortcoming of the more Hollywood mm-hmm. versions of Hero's Journey stories. Mm-hmm. We, you know, that's that's just the minutia of everyday life. But but actually that that return and how the lessons of the journey are integrated may even be the most important part. I agree with you. It's not as dramatic. Yes, Yes. (laughs) but I so agree with your statement there because it's like you have the momentum of of life behind you until the dragon is slayed. And then there's just kind of this, you know, like this relief. Mm -hmm. But then it's like, I'm a different person now. I have Mm -hmm. awakened to my sovereignty and I move differently in the world. I carry my body differently in the world. I speak differently in the world. I have different relationships. I have different, they may be with the same people, but Mm. I go about them in a different way than I, I am not the person I was on the other side of that threshold that I have just crossed. And so, and some people don't like that. They're like, who are you? Mm. You know, you might get a bit of that, (laughs) right? Or you might get um, more responsibility and maybe you're up for that. You know, um, you know, the best leaders 
men and women of our time are usually not, you know, out there clamoring to lead. They they just get put in that position because they're awesome and people feel calm and joyful and confident around them. Mm-hmm. And so that integration piece, I, I just wanted to touch on that for our listeners, because to your point, you know, Hollywood, it sort of ends there. It, just like a marriage, if it's a romantic comedy, everything ends when they run off and get married. And right. if anybody knows anything, <laughs> the relationship is just starting right. <laughs> at that point, right? right. Uh, like the good, right. the juicy part of the relationship is actually just starting. So um, yeah. the opportunity to of that integration as it continues, I would argue then to the most beautiful transformations in an individual happen on the return because you have, again, this sort of crazy momentum behind you of a mentor and allies and dragons and all this stuff. And then suddenly it's you and you with your sovereignty. And that, I, I don't really think there are a lot of words, but it's, felt in the space you inhabit now. And back to your biblical reference, you know, they say in the parables that the Christ consciousness could affect consciousness just by him walking through a village, whether he said anything or not. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's what we're talking about on the other side of the dragon is that there's something radiating from the gravitational field of this individual now that is affecting people's own awakenings, whether they hold a workshop or not, right? It's not like you even have to say a lot anymore. It's just who it's, it's in their space. It's like that martial arts. I think you and I have had this conversation before. It's like that martial arts master that you just don't mess around with that person because there's so (laughs) much respect in the space. Yeah, they can do all this crazy shit if they need to. And they're really awesome and they've got all these skills. But nine times out of 10, it's not even required because who they are is just has created its own gravitational field. So that part of the return, I think, is so Mm -hmm. beautiful. And thank you for helping us um, understand that. Um, and, and I want to touch on too, there's sort of this trajectory of divide and conquer and the positivity of the hero, even though he or she may have moments of doubt, but do you ever encounter a dark side of that archetype? You know, you were talking about Carol Pearson's work and seeing how the destruction and the creation go together. Is there a dark side of the hero's journey that folks who may find themselves in the midst of one can just have on their radar as perhaps one way things might be undermined. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm really glad you're, you're, you're bringing this up because um, again, I think, I think there is a kind of way in which, you know, because the hero's journey does get, presented to a lot of us these days in, again, through a kind of pop culture Hollywood mm-hmm. format, there, there is a temptation to take, A, to take all of this way too literally, you know, to think of, you know, the hero is 
the one who has the sword or the big weapon and goes and, you know, kills evil. And that, of course, you know, as you, as, one, as soon as you take even your first step into some of this Jungian archetypal stuff, you know, a, a literal approach doesn't take, get you very far. You know, there, right. there are deeper layers to, to explore, you know, one, one dynamic um, or one theme that emerges for me in some of the really great hero stories is the hero having a really clear sense of serving a higher purpose, mm. you know, not just serving one's own ego. Right. Mm, I love that. So, mm-hmm. A great story that that bears this out is is um, a part of the the Grail legend story. So you have um, the hero of uh, Parsifal, who is one of the you know knights of the Round Table. This is King Arthur, mm-hmm. Merlin, mm-hmm. you know uh, territory. Um, so uh, Parsifal, along with a lot of other knights, you know, goes in search of the Holy Grail. And on his many journeys, uh, every time he bumps into some other some other knight, um, they I guess it was you know it was a part of the the knightly code I suppose where they had to you know face each other and see who was best right which you know to, again on the surface could seem like a very egotistical let's just uh, you know compare our muscles and, yeah. uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, a very masculine form of, of all of this. Right. But there's a very interesting detail here. And, and this was, um, I first encountered this point being made by, uh, Robert Johnson, um, mm. in his book, uh, he, which is all about, uh, masculine psychology. Parsifal did this very interesting thing, which I think is really, really profound. He was, he was, he was the best knight. He was, he, he would always defeat these other knights in combat. And when he knew that they were defeated, that he, you know, knocked them down to the ground, he bested them. He would like raise back his sword so that the other knight would know without a shadow of a doubt that he was beaten and that, and that their, their death would be certain if Percival swung the sword down, but then Percival would would sheathe his sword, and instead, with the knowledge that you know that he had just spared this knight's life, Percival would would make the knight pledge his allegiance to King Arthur, mm-hmm. and Robert Johnson goes into detail about this in a really beautiful way that 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 what that represents on a, on a psychic level is that this, this other night, which represents what, what we previously thought to be an enemy, something we feared, uh, a part of the shadow, something mm-hmm. that we had othered. Right. Right. We have a, we have a moment of confrontation with it. We look at it clearly and, and instead of killing it, huh. We bring it into the service of the king, which is symbolic of the self, the capital S whole self. I right? love that. Yeah. Um, which is again, that's such a different concept of, of the warrior. Um, but that, but that what that really 
I guess draws a contrast between is that let's say Parsifal had yeah swung that sword, just cut off that other knight's head. Who would that have been in service to? Yeah, exactly. Just, Parsifal, just him, right? Yep, just he, him. He, he gets he he just he gets to put a notch on his belt or whatever, mm-hmm. a notch on his sword. Hey, I killed yeah. another knight. I'm the best, right? So that's that's the ego centered hero in service to simply himself or herself. But but that that demanding that the other knight pledge their allegiance to the king is a way of Parsifal then becomes the hero in service to the highest good, the highest self, the whole self, right? And so that for me is a great model or just a great reminder for all of this. Who are we serving or what are we serving in our... Uh, in our expressions of heroism. That is beautiful. I love having that myth for that distinction and just recommending to both of our communities, all of the books by Robert Johnson are really accessible. And he has he, he has she, he has we, um, several other titles. And, And he's really masterful about taking a myth and just keeping it. I mean, those books are like maybe... 60 pages. They're super pithy and and easy to understand. And he does a beautiful job of that, of awakening mythological thinking, but in concrete ways that we can apply that. And I thank you for sharing the the Parsifal story, because that's a story we can wrap our intentions around. And to your point there, what would that look like in the nitty gritty world. So we know what it looks like mm-hmm. in the myth, but mm-hmm. what would in a day-to-day person in 2021, what would that look like? What are the safeguards, if you will, in a human life for serving the king with all this energy that you've just encountered and you've and you've had the courage to face something about yourself then so that it doesn't become inflated or that we're living all of our lives through our head and our concepts, what might that look like in a very real-time way to stay grounded so that you know you're Mm -hmm. serving your king? Yeah, yeah. Great, great question. Because I do think it is important, obviously, to bring this down to earth, you know, so we're not just talking about these ancient legends, but like, you know, what does this mean for for right here, right now? Mm -hmm. Well, imagine that, yeah, there is is a part of your total personality that you've exiled from yourself. You know, I think anger is always kind of an interesting Mm. example. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, let's say you grew up in a household with this is a little maybe a stereotypical image, but let's say a, a father with anger issues, mm-hmm. right? And that anger was hurtful, it was harmful, it was destructive, it was traumatic. Mm-hmm. You might then grow up believing that any expression of anger is automatically wrong. You know, you do not allow yourself any access to any form of anger because it's just, it's always bad, shameful, you know? Well, well, look, you know, 
there's going to be some times, some moments where the healthy expression of anger, or, or maybe even better yet, going back to this idea of a kind of setting boundaries, let's, let's look at it that way. Someone is taking advantage of you. Someone is, is abusing you. Someone is using hurtful language. And if you believe that you expressing some, some anger, some, uh, a kind of firm sticking up for yourself, if you've internalized that that's wrong, that, that in the face of someone being really abusive to you, that the best way to, that the only way to respond is to be like nice and sweet and like, <laughs> oh, they, you know, I'll just kill them with kindness. Yeah, gosh darn you. <laughs> right, you know, and hey, yeah. I'm a Southerner by birth, so I was uh, well trained in the arts of, uh, bless you know, your being heart. sweet and nice. Yeah, you know, bless your heart. Bless your heart, you know, right? <laughs> So let's suppose I am someone who, in a moment where I actually really, by any standard, deserve to have the right to say, no, you can, you are not allowed to abuse me like that. If I'm not capable of, of bringing forth that, that firmness and maybe even that, that righteous anger that says, no, I, that is not acceptable to me then that that is that is like a tool i desperately need mm-hmm. you know that that's an that's an aspect of personality that i i need on my team for 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 the highest good right so we could think of that 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 anger that maybe that that firm setting of boundaries that capacity to say no that's like that other night mm-hmm. that seemed at first like the enemy yeah. Right. Yeah. I have now had a, a confrontation with it. And instead of killing off my anger, like I've been doing maybe forever or banishing mm-hmm. it, I'm mm-hmm. now bringing it on to my team. I love it. Yeah. I now could have a healthy expression. I could tap into that moment of that, that, that feeling of anger, the feeling of I'm being abused in some way that I don't deserve to do. And I'm, I'm hot because of that. And I set a boundary, but now that boundary setting is in service to my overall well-being. So that, that is bringing that, 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 which was once the enemy knight over onto the side of the true King, which is your highest self, you know? Anger is a fantastic real-time example. Thank you. And and as you provided that example, what I'm hearing is it existed in the head first because it was a story from the past. You know, anger, dad, past. Mm -hmm. It was a story up here. And what I'm hearing you say is suddenly you're in the body. You're feeling emotion. You're Mm. honoring emotion. And you're yeah. moving from the heart in service of wholeness. So mm-hmm. if we could provide that sort of framework for folks, like if they're thinking, you know, whatever opportunity to reclaim the power in something that was once an enemy, quote unquote, mm-hmm. so we could share with folks and ourselves as we, as we work this, get out of the head, 
and of the story. Get into the body, get Mm -hmm. into the heart region. And this is where the alchemy of the transformation in service of the king, if you will, or the queen um, is going to happen so that you're not just lobbing off a limb that is, that's just not helpful in the end, right? Um, You're fragmented then, but that limb is in service to you now, but this is done in the body. This is done Mm -hmm. in the heart. This is done in the present moment, I would argue, not past or future stories. Um, And that takes um, a discerning will to get clear on that, about what story is, is repeating itself or what present moment reality is repeating is, is present, not repeating itself. It's present. So um, if we're in a story, chances are we are in our head. If we're in an emotion and and Uh, feeling something we're we're here and this is the site, the locale, if you will, of Mm -hmm. alchemy and transformation is right here in this present moment. How does that feel Matthew with, sort of framing it that way. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Um, it's something I try to practice with my clients all the time is, uh, and, and I, th- I think you, I think I heard you use the word, you know, honoring or, you know, acknowledging. I, I use those phrases all the time in my work of, of honoring what's being felt and feeling it in the body. Um, breathing into it, allowing some space for it to be felt in the depths. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, not making an, an enemy out of, yeah, these more complicated, mm-hmm. challenging emotions, you know? Um, you know, and I, I wanted to actually circle back to um, that confrontation with the dragon as well, you know, because again, that's a part of this myth, the story piece that we're so used to thinking of it as, yes, slaying the dragon, fighting the dragon, cutting off the dragon's head, you know, and, you know, there can be a place for those images as long as we don't take them too literally. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. But I, I actually think that you know, the, perhaps the better image for our times is it's, it's, it's actually more of an integration of mm. the dragon. You yes. Know? Yes. Uh, it, I totally a, agree. It's, again, it's, mm. it's that actually bringing just like in the, the, the battle with the night we're talking about with, with Parsifal that, you know, the dragon represents an energy, an energy in the body. Mm-hmm. that we are scared to acknowledge there's it is that you can really actually think of the dragon as the the part of ourselves that we have the hardest time loving wow think of it that way and you confront it you know does that dragon really need to be killed right. no <laughs> you know yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's the same dynamic. It's, it's like, how could we bring the energy of that dragon representing that which we have most exiled from ourselves? How can we bring it back into the fold mm-hmm. of the true self? How could we then, yeah, bring, welcome that, that fearful dragon energy back home 
So yes. now it's on our team. Now mm-hmm. you got dragon energy at your back. Yeah, that's very impressive. <laughs> you know? Yes. Yeah. Right. And yeah. I think I shared with the, shared this with you before, but I led a a um, a workshop once with uh, with a group of men. Um, where I took them on a uh, guided visualization hero's journey. We did a few different phases of it, a lot of reflecting, a lot of sharing. And, um, and I took them into, I, I, you know, they, they, they had their eyes closed and I was guiding them into, you know, a kind of archetypal cave, that sort of dark cave. You know, Joseph Campbell spoke to the, uh, that classic line about, you know, the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek, right? Mm-hmm guide them in, into this dark cave. And I said that there is, um, and, and that inside that cave is, yeah, a dragon. And this dragon, you know, represents that which you fear, that which you are, are most scared to look at about yourself, right? <laughs> and, and then we shared and we kind of talked about what, what that was, part of ourselves that we were most fearful of or most wanted to avoid or whatever it might be. And with this group of men, I, um, the next phase that I guided them to was you're going to have a confrontation with this dragon. And I said to them, I want you, I want you to allow your imagination to play out what happens next. Something needs to happen between you and this dragon energy. What's it going to be? What needs to happen? Not sure what, you know, this, 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 inner story was playing out in each of their inner selves. And I had no idea what was happening, brought them back and we shared. And I was so fascinated by the fact and actually sort of proud of the fact that each of the, as each of them shared what their imagination presented to them as the best solution to this dragon confrontation, not one of them like murdered the dragon, not, you know, and, and, and I think that's actually quite, cool to hear among a group of men. Cause I think, I think we stereotype men and the masculine as, yeah, I drew my sword and I, you know, cut this dragon down and chopped off its head and I am the champion, right? Exactly. <laughs> but, but actually what each of them shared without any influence from each other, what each of them said was, it played out differently. I remember one man, I remember the dragon began to shrink in size. Mm. Then it went from this huge monstrous dragon and then it shrunk down to the size of like a kitten. Mm. And he realized that, you know, this fear he had been holding on to was actually much smaller in size than um, that he had imagined. Many of them ended up having a kind of dialogue with the dragon. And the dragon actually taught them something that 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 which they had feared actually had a lesson for them. Yes. The dragon became the mentor is what happened. Wow. You know, so. (laughs) That's rich. That's a rich symbol right there. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And I think, I think in these modern times where it's so easy to make someone the other, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's our, the people we disagree with politically or, you know, so much of this year of, of COVID and so many of the debates around 
to wear a mask or to not wear a mask, to get vaccinated, to not get vaccinated. And the kind of um, the way we tend to form teams, you know, yes. uh, these, these ideological beliefs. Yeah. yeah. We form these identities, these, yeah. And it's all in the mind, of course, all right? All in these the mind. Of what side we're on in these great cultural debates. Um, we turn others into our, our dragons, but I, I, and, 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 and if we're operating off of this old or, or, or maybe it's, Again, that more kind of Hollywood pop culture version of the hero's journey. Yeah, we, we need to go out and slay whoever we have decided is our enemy and conquer them and that sort of thing. But, but actually, this is this is an inner journey. Yes. Um, and the dragons we have are are actually yeah m- mentors in disguise. Yes. Uh, um, they don't need to be mm. killed, but they do need to be confronted. They yes. need to be faced, mm-hmm. seen clearly, um, and then actually more integrated. And uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I, it, it's almost that image of the sovereign at the end of the story has the lessons and the power of the dragon now in him or her to 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 lead with. You know, I love uh, that definition of the sovereign. The sovereign mm-hmm. has integrated the dragon. That's fantastic. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's enormously helpful. So to, to segue here, because you and I could talk for like eight hours and <laughs> just keep going. And it would be a pleasure. It would be a pleasure. Yes, brother. I, I totally I appreciate your your kinship and, and um, your reflective, um, inspirational approach we could we could workshop all day long but to sort of bring this with the hero's perspective to the questionnaire I do with folks and we let synchronicity choose the questions um I'd like to ask you three questions and again I just like with my other deeper rhythm interviews I let the dice decide and we don't know what's coming. Are there any questions that you felt were off, off base and that you're just, no. that's not you for right now? Yeah, I didn't think so. No, never. <laughs> you're like, you hit me. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to, uh, with your permission, let's see, let's see what the gods have in store for us here cool. to ask Matthew. <laughs> okay. First one is number 23. Okay. okay. What do you regard as the lowest depth of misery? <laughs> wow. Wow. Hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to pause and yeah, give that's myself fine. a moment, yeah. moment mm-hmm. to think. Um, hmm. I I would say in my own experiences, some of my lowest moments have usually been associated with uh, a breaking of trust. Mm -hmm. You know, that that to to feel like you can no longer trust someone that you once put all your trust in. That's that's a difficult one. It's. Mm 
that one's hard to find the teacher in that one. Gotcha. It's there. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Betrayal. Maybe that's a Maybe that's a good definition actually of, you know, that despair. It's, it's those moments where it's, it's hardest to find the lesson mm-hmm. mixed up with the pain. That one, in my experience, that just felt painful. Yeah. You know? Betrayal. But is there a betrayal. distinction between betrayal and, and lack of trust or are they, are they, is there I, a distinction say, or is that the same thing? Hmm. I think in the way I, I was speaking of it, I feel like betrayal is a good synonym. Yeah. Okay. I, I, yeah. I, I would, I, maybe there's some fine, fine distinctions that could be made there, but I, I think, yeah, what I meant by that was, was also a, yeah, a sense of betrayal, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Betrayal is really tough. tough. Oh yeah. Have you read just incidentally, um, since we're both, depth psychological nerds have you read james hillman's essay on betrayal no oh my god yeah yeah (laughs) that is a life changer and you can get it online so um james hillman it's three parts i think you can find it the most recent i did a class that incorporated it fairly recently um and you can get it online james hillman for those who would like to look this up um, and I think the last time I saw it, uh, you could get it online at the sun publication, but it's a three-part essay on betrayal and, you know, it was written quite a while ago. So just like with anything, our, our political correctness about the way we speak about certain things has evolved, but the kernel of truth there about betrayal is, is a really interesting dive in to what you know, so I just throw that out there for if anybody wants to look at that. Yeah, betrayal, having also experienced that is, um, that's, that's a big one. Okay, thank you. I'm going to roll again. Maybe okay. a happier question. Okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> our, our, uh, the mentor of this um, podcast is in charge of these questions, not me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, um, number 12. What is the quality you most like in a man? Hmm. 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 This is, this is a very good, rich question for me because I've had the opportunity to spend some really good time with very good men mm-hmm. um, the past two years. Um, there's something about very clear speech Mm. when a group of men get together and can speak honestly with each other and um, clearly with each other and, and to keep your word with each other. Mm. There's something in that, that I I really, when I think about the men I admire, they, they speak clearly and uh, my, I'll summarize this by saying one of the, one of the things my dad said a lot: "Say what you mean and mean what you say." Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's a, actually a very great piece of advice. Yes. And um, the men who embody that of saying, I "Say what I mean and I mean what I say," I love that. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, I like that too. Okay, last question. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, this came up with my 
friend Kelsey a couple interviews ago. Which words or phrases do you most overuse? (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's funny. I I probably, you know, use some of them in some parts of the conversation. Um, (laughs) You know, know, this is a good one. I'm I'm kind of proud to overuse this one. I I do come back to this idea of of honoring. I, I feel like I say that a lot to my clients. Okay. But I feel good about overusing that word, yeah. you know, honoring our emotions, honoring what's coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I would probably also add with, with some humor, you know, there, there's some coaching lingo that I probably, whether it be setting intentions or, you know, what's coming up for you, you know, yeah. in, in my own head, I sometimes laugh at myself for, for perhaps overusing some of that coaching therapy yeah. kind of language. Lingo. Yeah. <laughs> Does this land for you? That was really popular for a while. And a business land for you in um, holding space. And those are great things. Again, if we don't over holding space, yeah, holding space, <laughs> holding space. I know I use that all the time too. And I'm trying to, um, use it less or use synonyms for it because I, I think it's a beautiful concept and I don't want it to cheapen it by over saying that. Right. I, I, I have very similar concerns. I I think it's the writer in me, you Mm -hmm. know, I mean, uh, you know, you know, writers, you never want to fall into cliche, you know, Mm -hmm. that's cliche is always the, the great enemy of uh, good writing. And so, yeah, anytime, uh, uh, a phrase starts, I, once I start hearing it too much in kind of spiritual circles, you know, whether it's abundance or yeah. manifestation or all these yeah. things, I, 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 I kind of, um, I want to stop using those phrases. I want to find a different way to say it that keeps yeah. it fresh. Yeah, you know? exactly. Uh, I love that. And I think it's really important. And, and quite honestly, you know, there are folks in my life that, those phrases would turn off, right? Like that is not going to get through. Like there, you have to have, and I don't mean this in an inauthentic or insincere way, but you have to have a lot of different languages at your disposal to know how Mm. to speak to people, you know, um, if that is part of your work. And again, it's, it's not about putting on airs or a show, but, you know, just, to not be afraid to be really common, even in your language. I think some of the most beautiful writing uses very simple words, but in an order or in a way that we hadn't thought of. It's not all adjective right? Like I think every writer goes through a phase where everything has 800 adjectives. And then you're like, oh my God, I can't let anybody see that phase of my writing. And and then you right. you just start to use words like salt or sweet or you know just simple words like that in a in an utterly different way than you did before it's kind of on the other side of the adjective vomit phase right, um, right. and that's when i think things start to get good so mm. and that's a great segue the gods knew what they were doing how can folks find you? How can they find your books? How yep. can they connect with you? And, and please, um, and I will add those links also in the program notes, um, but please let, let us know where to connect with Matthew Foley. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, the best place to start would be my website, which is a path to call your own.com. That's my coaching business. And, uh, that is also the name of my podcast. Really a big fan of the conversation Lori and I had today. You should go back and listen to, uh, I think our conversation might've been episode, I want to say eight. I think, yeah, I think it I was. Think that's true. But uh, that podcast is, is ongoing. And uh, I'll tell you real quick, a fun thing that I'm trying out is um, I'm doing this new conversation series that I'm call, calling Spirit Talks, where mm-hmm. I have uh, a special guest and it's on Zoom. I have a, I have a, like a featured guest for the evening, but then we actually invite in invite in a an audience to listen in to the conversation, and then we'll do like a question and answer part of it. Nice. Um, it's 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 a kind of more interactive podcast. Oh, nice. um, So I yeah. I was just trying that out um, a few weeks ago, and it went really well. So I do these on my podcast, I do these kinds of just one-on-one conversations. I do some solo episodes where it's me exploring, um, various topics. I've been doing a lot of archetypal stuff. I did a whole episode recently on the archetypes of, um, the ruler and the magician or like the king and the wizard. Um, that, that was like a solo episode of mine. the podcast. Um, and I also, yeah, I am, I am a writer, um, particularly a poet. Um, I do have, uh, two poetry books for sale on my website. Um, the most recent one is mountain medicine, um, which I was really, really proud of that came out in, uh, November. So that's a whole other side to me, my kind of Mm. creative artist, creative writer side, um, but, uh, yeah, there's that. And I, you know, so in my work as a coach, I do one-on-one coaching. I do group coaching. Now, um, I have, uh, um, a group format I call soul circle and I have, uh, two groups that meet each week there always developing courses. I teach a course on finding purpose several times a year and, uh, and I'm developing, uh, archetypes workshop that I'll, I'll be largely basing off of Carol Pearson's work and some of her archetypal terminology. I I really recommend her stuff. So yeah, there's, there's always lots of things going on. And and I also, um, I teach a meditation class online on Monday nights. So I'm, 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 I'm always up to something. (laughs) Yes, you are. You're on social media. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Yeah. Um, Yeah. Like I said, Instagram, you can find me uh, at a path to call your own. Um, and then on Facebook, yeah, just search for Matthew Foley. Okay. Thank you, brother. I love you. Uh, lots of love to you too. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Okay. We'll connect soon. All right. Okay. Bye-bye. I find deep conversations about archetypal themes so inspiring. I hope you enjoyed that. And I want to, again, conclude with another poem from my series on the pink moon. I wrote this poem about the full moon. Determined to light out for new territory, there will be a gathering of resistance, a curse, a conflict, empty reserves, an unkind illness, a wandering, a witnessing, a swell of self-doubt, and all these things together. Testing? The medal of perseverance? No. After many, many false starts, no. To double down, seize and conquer, push and pull, is to fuel the backlash mightily and meet fortitude's demise. Something decidedly different is required here. 
Pink Moon's unapologetic wisdom. Play. In the end, it takes more courage than spitting fire. And in the end, play is invincible. Let the thought of play coinciding with the hero and heroine's journey travel with you until we chat again. If you're enjoying this podcast, be sure and hit subscribe so you don't miss another episode. I'm planning loosely at the moment to do one soon on a pink moon meditation. And also today I'm actually conducting another interview with my new friend and beautiful jewelry artist, Jennifer Cervelli. So I'll have another interview series coming up with her soon. And I'm really looking forward to that. I found a gorgeous piece of hero-inspired music to carry us out to the end. And this is by the artist Across the Great Valley. And it's called, And Then We Fell From the Sky. And I really want you to take a moment to hear the several minutes um, that this concludes our podcast with and allow that playfulness along with the heroine and hero's journey to guide you. Until next time, take good care.